Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page, and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by Radek Piotrushevsky. Did I get that right this time? Yes, you did. Uh, hello. All right. Hello. Thanks for coming back on the show. <laughs> It's uh, thank you for inviting me. Again. Yeah, no worries. I uh, I was I've been wanting to talk about um, uh, some a, a topic particularly recently because of my my recent experiences and my and my I guess you could call it my journey as a web developer, which I'm really not a web developer, but I I kind of pretend to be sometimes in my spare time, and um, this is the the argument I think you call it I'd, I'd like to say it's an age old argument, but it's not really that old. Um, as arguments go, this whole static versus dynamic thing. So, I was, uh, I kind of, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's been an interesting, I guess, uh, uh, journey. I don't know if you'd call it that for me. And um, I was, I was hoping you can help me sort of flesh this one out a little bit. All right, let's let's try and do that. Alrighty. So way back in the beginning, which let's be honest, was really only a few decades ago. Um, like websites used to be pretty simple. You know, a bunch of images, maybe an animated image if you're, you know, really fancy. Um, a bit of HTML, some HTML tags around the text, maybe a few, a, a couple of files or files or two. You know, maybe I think you know, PDFs back then and different things, and 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 you were done. But you know, websites had to be developed by people that understood, you know, how to FTP onto a server and and do all those modifications to the raw files and everything. And the first website I ever did was was exactly that. And I actually had an animated uh, Australian flag blowing in a virtual breeze, which thinking back was really tacky. But at the time, I thought it was just amazing. But, you know, it was, yeah, anyway. But it was fully static. And um, if you wanted people to email you, that was fine. You know, you just put your email address on the website because, I mean, nothing could go wrong if you did that, right? Just put your email address there. That's fine. Um, job done. And... Um, uh, if you wanted to have some interaction, you know, you could do uh, forms and basic forms sort of came along. There's no real encryption or anything. You just post all the details and, and, and away you go. What could go wrong with that either? And um, when I was actually first working on uh, forms in particular, I was doing some work at Nortel and they had me doing uh, some Perl scripts uh, in the back end for some CGI bin forms back in uh, 97. And that was never externally facing. It was internal uh, on Nortel's intranet. And... Um, and that was all, yeah, very interesting, I guess. Um, slanty toothpick and all that other thing. And um, time moves on and the world moves on and websites move on. And I guess this is where we start to delve into the whole web 1.0 versus web 2.0 thing. So when you think of web 1.0 to 2.0, how, how, do you, how do you think of that transition? Like which, which bucket is which, would you say? Mm, that's a really good one. I... I recall Web 2.0 being a thing, a trend when I was starting with programming and web development um, like 12 years ago, something like that. And I mostly, my, my biggest association with this phrase is how people started adding uh, like gradients and like the completely 
change the whole style like the stylistic uh, way of, of how the web w- would work. So it wouldn't be frames anymore or uh, images making, you know, um, the layout of the website, but it would be CSS, it will be cleaner and simpler. Uh, but then I guess what, what, what you're going after is, is the whole dynamic thing and how like WordPress and these other dynamic things uh, popped up, but I guess that that's that's not my main association with Web 2.0. It's mostly the progression to CSS and sort of cleaner, uh, more modern um, style on the web. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess my problem with the whole Web Web 1.0 2.0 thing is it, it's a function of there's a whole bunch of things that happened uh, in the evolution of web design that sort of seem to have just overlapped on top of each other. And some people say, well, oh, that's what makes something Web 2.0 or that's something that makes it Web 1.0. Uh, but the truth is that it gets a bit blurry. And I know a lot of people debate debate it. And I guess, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a static and dynamic thing is kind of what I was getting at. And um, the thing that makes it difficult is that uh, a, Web 1.0 was supposed to be more about just static sites, sites that never changed. You just, what, what you got is what you got. Uh, but the truth is that... Um, you know, they, there were things called guest books way back in the day. Um, you know, on your GeoCities page, mm. um, and it was it was technically that was a 2.0 feature because a, a, a random user could you know write something on your guest book, and then that would be displayed for everyone else to see. So technically, that was a Web 2.0 thing, but that was back in what was considered to be a Web 1.0 in you know time period or environment. So it's not exactly clear cut, and I mean, I just want to I guess draw attention to the fact that you know. It's that there was a migration away from this idea that it's good enough for your web page to just be almost entirely static, to going almost too far the other way, where it has to be completely dynamic. Uh, in which case, you know, it's an interesting transition to consider. So, uh, anyway, not entirely the point. Just wanted to bring it up and mention it because it is one of those uh, hotly debated, frustrating arguments. But anyway, right in twenty eighteen, the the whole web two point seems almost funny because. Um, it, it was yeah. it was just a phrase like it was not really a thing like it was a bunch of different things as you said overlapping in both design and programming side of things and then advancements in HTML and CSS and JavaScript and a bunch of people wanted to call it like give it a name but uh, from the perspective of time it seems like very uh, meaningless like the, the, the there is no there was no step change it was a bunch of different unrelated things coinciding over the span of really many years. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is about Web 1.0 as well is that it was never known as Web 1.0 back in the day. It was one of those, right. it was one of those yeah, a, a back, backronym, not backronym, you know what I mean? It was, a, it was an expression that was created after the fact to refer to some point in time prior to the current point in time. Ugh, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like you could say like when with pragmatic, it's like pragmatic was... Um, uh, pragmatic version two was when it went indie, or 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 pragmatic <laughs> version three was when yeah. You know, it's kind of like it, it's like it, it's a marker in time and a label that no one used at the time, but yeah, has been come to represent something that mostly was this time period. I, I think so. Anyway, I think the word you were looking for is retronym. Ah, retronym. Yes, thank you. That's I, exactly the I word just, I was looking just for. Just looked it up. I, I couldn't figure it out either. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's cheating, looking things up. Anyway, oh, hang on. No, that's what I call research. Never mind. All right. Lovely. Um, okay, cool. So, um, 
so let's talk a little bit about then dynamic sites. And I guess the whole whole thing is that, and and where I'm my my, my um, personal uh, journey of frustration, I guess you could call it, in web development, is the fact that when you're starting out, you you tend to listen to different advice from different people. And the problem is that if they're not really thinking about this and framing this from the point of view of what's the best solution, they're thinking about what they've got experience with. They're thinking about, well, you could just do this, you could just do that. And it's not necessarily the best advice. And so my problem was that I went, I was very swayed by other people's opinions because I didn't have too much experience. So, you know, things like um, starting out with Blogger and then progressing all the way to where I am at the moment uh, and all the points along that way. And I'm thinking back about that and I've, I've gone about my approach to web development very, very differently. Uh, and I'd, I would do it differently now because I'm now looking at, well, what are my requirements? Um, what do I need to be dynamic and what don't I? Can I get away with static and so on and so forth? So I guess what I wanted to do really is, is, is today is to like flesh out what's the decision tree? How, how do you figure out which one you should use? And if you have to choose one or one or the other, uh, what are your best options in either case and pros and cons and all that sort of thing. So with um, talking about dynamic sites then. So the great thing about a dynamic site is whenever a user accesses the site, it, the, it will specifically determine... Uh, what to show the user based on the current state of the site and its data at that specific moment in time. And that can be you know, fully dynamic or you can have elements of the site that are dynamic. And the data typically is stored in a database or it can be stored in a what's becoming, I suppose, some people are preferring it like a flat file database. Don't call it a database, but technically it's a database just stored in a bunch of text files, which are slower to access and frustrating for different reasons, but they're more directly editable because people don't like editing databases, blah, 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 blah. Well, some people don't anyhow. Um, uh, did I miss anything with dynamic sites? No, no, let, let, let's keep going. Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like when you think about it, that's really all there is to it. If you, if you sort of like peel it back, that's, that's what it comes back to. Um, and the difference with static sites is that they're always the same, no matter what, whoever accesses it, whenever they access it, it just doesn't change ever, ever, unless someone goes in and accesses the raw files and modifies the raw files. So... The thing about there's there's actually a new class of of site I think and it's a statically generated site and mm-hmm. I look at statically generated sites as they're technically yes the output may be static but technically they're not really static because static sites um, don't change unless the source files are changed but the files that are served can change based on changes to the source file so there's an inter is an intermediate step and they they can be made to appear to behave a bit like a dynamic site. Uh, if you use things like a recurring background task on the server to recreate the site periodically based on changes made to the source file. So it's not fully dynamic as in terms of a user's uh, session when they log into the website, <laughs> log in, when they access the website, you know what I mean? Um, right. But and technically, you, yeah. And you can also add the dynamic features uh, totally on the front end with JavaScript. So like... Uh, I don't know if it's still popular, but uh, people used to use uh, Discuss with a Q, I think, uh, mm-hmm. to add mm-hmm. comments to websites, and they'll be like purely JavaScript. So, you know, really yeah. heavy and, and bad, I guess, uh, for for some reasons. But but you could add these dynamic features or or stuff like uh, recommendations for related, um, you know, articles or something like that uh, with while the uh, pages on the server would be static. Yeah, exactly. So I think that um, that's that's something that I have sort of dabbled with 
and actually JavaScript's been around for quite a while. So it's um, and being able to execute uh, code in, in the in the client to give that that um, that partly dynamic uh, interaction uh, has its place. But a lot of people don't really like JavaScript anymore. <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, anyway, so all right. So let's see. All right. So, so on on the dynamic side of sorry on the static side of things, just again quickly. Um, I guess the problem with static is it's difficult. It's difficult to do things like e-commerce, um, mm-hmm. social media, lots of interactivity. It, it, that that it's really quite quite difficult. And and I guess the idea of of just anyone who wants to to actually create a site. Uh, they need to be able to edit, uh, edit, sorry, the HTML files uh, on a web server, usually running Linux. And the problem with that is getting anyone who could actually create content meant that the people that created the content had to be people that were technically minded. That is to say, you know, people like us. Um, you know, and you had to be a programmer or a developer to do anything on the web, and it, or you had to have a team of people that did that for you. So, I think that. One of the things that really drove uh, dynamic uh, websites, particularly, was the idea of a content management system or a CMS, where you could actually get people that weren't technically savvy to essentially log into an administration panel. They could then go and create a create a um, a, a file that would then eventually become a, a web page, and that web page article would be based on the content that they created. But they didn't have to have any specific particular knowledge about how to edit HTML files or log on to uh, using FTP or whatever. They didn't have to do any of that. All they had to do was just log into their CMS, create their content and away you go. And I, and I see that as being certainly, you know, in the space that I've definitely played in is, uh, is that one of the drivers for dynamic uh, websites. Uh, yeah, so, I, I would, I would say the, 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 the same thing uh, that even like the, the, the funny thing about, um, static um, websites or static website generations, and uh, I'm sure we'll get back to it, is that they seem simple, but only to really technical people who can deal with it. But then for everybody else, um, what made things like WordPress and these days, you know, Squarespace and such so popular is that you can really just play around with it and have your own website, even though you don't have technical skills. And and that's something that there will be quite difficult to achieve with uh, static websites because it would have to be mm, coupled with some sort of service to be able to upload it and it would have to be like uh, you know what you see is is what you get and uh, we had back in in the day uh, the was it the Microsoft um, how uh, do you remember this I I don't remember how it's called but there was this app this WYSIWYG app for making um, uh, websites and it would produce like the most bad, outrageous, unsemantic uh, HTML that would be like unreadable uh, for yeah. search engines and, and such. I think, was it Microsoft Publisher or, um, no, it wasn't, it was another one. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I know the one you mean. And you would, you would um, yeah, you're right. It, it, there's the output, and you could actually do that even with Microsoft Word. You could actually push uh, you could push an output uh, to uh, to HTML, and it was completely yeah. You know, if you were to write it in raw HTML, just the if you were to write it without the editor, it'd be one kilobyte. But if you exported it from this thing, it'd be like you know twenty five kilobytes, and it'd just be full of rubbish in HTML tags. And you'd be looking at it, and you're thinking, what? 
how is that even possible to cram so many pointless HTML tags into this file? But it, it managed to do it. It was, um, yeah, and it was supposed to be, promise you that uh, what you see is what you get kind of thing, but it never really delivered. But uh, yeah. I did use it a couple of times and then I refused to use it ever again. I just looked it up. It was called Front Page. Oh, that's the one. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, yay. So, um, okay. So, just then about uh, about the d- dynamic sites, actually, before we do that, I, I just want to be clear. I didn't really want to go necessarily too much into, uh, you know, self, like self, quote unquote, self-hosted. That is to say, you manage and control your own server and your own documents um, on the server or your own installation on the server um, versus whether it's a shared host or a virtual private server versus somewhere like Squarespace, which is essentially a, um, you know, a website as a service kind of thing. So you, you go and they, they maintain their their servers and they deal with all the uptime, downtime, all that other stuff. And you just have to log into a CMS and do what you want to do and you're and you're more or less done. You can you can obviously hack a lot more and go down in templates and mess with things in um, in Squarespace and certain other ones as well. And, and some people like that. So, you know, that that's great. Um, but uh, beyond that, I guess I just want to talk about the different kinds of, uh, of dynamic sites that, um, that we've both played with, I guess. Um, and I guess one of the great things about dynamic websites is that the database backend, you can store pretty much anything you want. In fact, practically everything if you really want to, um, including the, kind of the, the font that you want to use and you know, the pitch of the fonts and di- different styles. There's all sorts of stuff that you can throw in there, pretty much anything. And you just do a query to extract that for whatever purpose you need and you know, and you can create a web page that essentially lets other people enter that information through an admin panel. And there's lots of flexibility there. Uh, ultimately, though, there's a, I think the two probably most common database formats, uh, MySQL and uh, Postgres. Um, I know there's more. Uh, are there any other ones that you've used or come across? Uh, not really. I, I did play around with um, Ruby on Rails applications that would have in production SQLite websites, but... It, it it's only something that works for small websites, and then when you're serious, you use MySQL, which is harder to set up, uh, but just faster and more reliable for uh, big websites. But mostly, yeah, it, it's MySQL is the most popular one. So that whole with, with MySQL recently, they um uh, when I did a, I recently did an install of uh, CentOS seven on a VPS, and uh, it, they've they've now um, renamed it to Maria. Um, sort of. I didn't have a chance to really dig into that one actually, but I thought that was interesting. It's supposed to be, you know, instruction by instruction equivalent of MySQL, but I had some scripts I was trying to run for an RSS reader, an RSS aggregator, I should say. And um, yeah, it didn't like that. <laughs> it was looking for MySQL specific inf- instructions that weren't available in uh, in Maria, which was, which was interesting and frustrating at the same time. This is really interesting. I, I never heard about that. Well, in any case... Um, that's all good. Uh, so examples of uh, websites that I've I've played with that were dynamic. Uh, the very first one I ever did was uh, was a blogger uh, site. Technically, technically, it was a it was a C, it was a CMS. Um, that was my first ever. Uh, actually, no, that was my first ever. My first one was back in '97. This one was in 2008, I think it was. Uh, anyway, and. Um, then after that, uh, like everyone else, I'm sure, uh, WordPress. And I started out with WordPress as hosted on the WordPress uh, website. And later on, I moved that to uh, a self-hosted solution. And I bounced that around uh, multiple different uh, hosts uh, over the years. Uh, and then after that, around about 2013 or 2014, uh, we went, I went to uh, Statomic, 
which is a flat file database, don't call it a database thing. Uh, and Statomic is a, a conjunction of two words, static and dynamic, to create Statomic. And um, and that was interesting. I started doing that for um, for tech distortion. And Statomic, uh, when I've, the one I'm using is Statomic version 1. And uh, V1 licenses... You know, it wasn't. It's not free, right? So WordPress is free. Blogger was free. Um, obviously, you pay to host it. It's not the hosting's not free, but the software is. And um, with Statomic, though, it wasn't. It was a paid. It was a paid product and a commercial product. And it was originally V1 was split into three components. You had um, the base license. If you wanted to use Forms, they had a plugin called Raven Forms. And if you wanted to do search, they had a plugin called Bloodhound. So uh, if you added all those licenses up. It was $197 US uh, for a single site with all three licenses, which they essentially did with version two. Uh, and version two, you buy it, that's $199 US um, for a brand new license. Or if you've got a V1 license, you can get a $49 upgrade. Uh, version three, which they're now working on, has been sort of nearly ready for release since about February this year, but it still isn't out yet. They're still working on it. They're saying it's going to be a free upgrade for anyone that's on V2. But uh, in any case, Statomic is an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting product. I, it basically drove me to learn Markdown, which is, I guess, not a bad thing. But uh, in the end, it also I also learned a lot of YAML and uh, and such for the front matter that you use um, for all your database. Don't call it a database files. And um, anyway, so um, that's been my dynamic sites that I've I've played with. Um, how about you? All right, so my experience was with, um, I, I very briefly played with Tumblr, uh, but never really published like a, a bigger real thing. There's something on the web, but like just pictures. Um, I I used WordPress for a while for many projects and like, like most people. Um, and also uh, there was my own CMS, which uh, if you really dig deep you can find somewhere on github the the source code for it it, it was called watermelon cms uh and that, that was sure. i guess the 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 first thing anybody learning php in tw uh, in 2006 would do like as their first project they would make a cms so instead of using something that was out there i would build my own cms to host my own website um but that uh that didn't last very very long. I think there's one website on the internet that that's still hosted to this day on on this thing. Um, cool. Yeah, and then uh, after that, um, I I hosted my 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 new website, which is what you'll find still today on Radex.io on uh, Jekyll. So Jekyll is a uh, static um, site generator. Uh, big, and I, I use it because I want something really simple, but something I liked precisely. Like I wanted to write my own CSS to make it look exactly the way I want it. And, you know, Jekyll is, is this kind of thing that's, that's going to be really complicated for a non-technical person. But if you know HTML and CSS and want to make your life easier than just using plain static website files, uh, it's easier to just have Jekyll spit out exactly the websites, the web pages you want, then to uh, work with WordPress and add plugins and change themes because there's so much stuff in WordPress that it's quite difficult. And for Jekyll, that's quite easy. Yeah. Mm. And also uh, one other thing I had experience with, um, 
the website for uh, for my podcast at thepodcast.fm is hosted at Squarespace, which is very typical of a <laughs> podcast website. Um, yeah, and I'm fairly happy with that. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think I would use it for my own website just because I'm really um, picky about exactly how it works. Uh, but for, for this purpose, it works quite well. Um, uh, the, the, my only annoyance with it is that you can't really uh, use the, mm, like the admin part, the CMS part on, on an iPad or an iPhone. Uh, you, you really need, okay. need a computer. Um, maybe that, that changed in the last year. Uh, so there was that, and uh, two things I had just brief interaction with, uh, but not too much direct experience, uh, is at my work, at my job at Nosby. For a very long time, all company sites like nosby.com and the CEO's website uh, was hosted on uh, a, a tiny static website generator built like 10 years ago by CEO himself by Michael. Uh, it was called Zenless, and it was like I guess a little bit ahead of its time, but uh, like too primitive to to keep using it because the way it worked is you would write posts or um, pages uh, using Markdown, and you would uh, save them just as Markdown files in Dropbox, and an automatic um, service would uh, download changes from Dropbox. Uh, compile like actual HTML files and and upload it to Amazon S3 or, or something like that. Uh, so for a very long time, okay. this worked like that. And that was very convenient for someone like Michael who really likes to work on his iPad because uh, you could do like publish stuff and do everything from your iPad, which back in like 2012, 2013 will be very difficult. Uh, like would be a lot... Uh, like would be impossible with something like Jekyll and not super convenient with something like WordPress or Squarespace. Um, so there was that. And then we gave up on that because it was too primitive and it was too much hassle to extend for our new uses. And so we switched to another, to, to an open source static generator, which is called uh, Hugo or Hugo. I don't know how to pronounce it. And... I don't know too much about it, except it's really powerful, way more powerful than uh, Jekyll. So all of the company sites now are generated using that. And there's some really complicated um, stuff on, on the websites with multiple languages, a lot of different pages, uh, like posts are annotated with uh, offers and co-offers. And, and there's this whole structure and it's all like statically generated from markdown files that you know, anyone in the company can edit. Um, you don't have you don't have to be super technical to do it. You just have to be able to uh, write Markdown, and then it's also hooked up so that it, uh, you know, it's uploaded the the generated website to to the server. Cool. Well, okay. So that's that's quite the list. I've got to say. Um, I I personally just want to say I have never rolled my own CMS, and I I don't <laughs> ever want to roll my own CMS. And I know that there are people that have. I know that. Um, uh, some other people that we um, that we know, like uh, like Marco, rolled his own um, for Marco.org. I'm pretty sure um, uh, Casey listed he, his his was called Camel. Uh, so now you, uh, now I know you you've rolled your own and and Michael rolled his own. That's uh, yeah. So everyone's rolled their own CMS except John, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to do it. Um, but the, the thing with dynamic sites before we get into the statically generated ones, which uh, I definitely want to talk about, is uh, uh, I guess the problem that I have with dynamic sites in general. And um, I guess the first biggest problem I have with dynamic is caching. And when I say caching is like the caching problem. The problem is that when, if you were to execute, um, the, let's say it's written in PHP, so you've got to execute your PHP every single time, uh, that's very, very uh, processor intensive. And it's the sort of thing that it does not scale. And the more and more traffic you get, the load goes up and up and up and to the point at which it just falls over. And so you have to do some level of caching. And as soon as you start doing caching, then you've got to figure out in, from a dynamic site, it's like, well, uh, if I turn everything into... A, uh, if I generate it once and I store it in my cache in, indefinitely, well, that solves that problem. But then when I make changes, I have to bust that cache or break the cache or whatever you want to call it. And you know, you have to trace that dependency to how exactly you break the cache when you do it. You know, do you use the file change time and date in the source files? Um, or if you're changing a template file, uh, you have to check that periodically to make sure that it hasn't changed. And then you've got to drive a regeneration of the cache. And then, of course, do you regenerate the whole cache? Do you just regenerate a handful of files that you think are dependent upon the source files? Um, and then, of course, caching as it relates to query strings, for example, if you've got that sort of interaction happening, it gets very messy very quickly. And uh, I guess what I have found uh, also is that if you've got a lot of complexity in the site, and I had a lot of complexity in the the Statomic sites where I'd written PHP, uh, even parts of it that were native to Statomic that I never modified in the core API, uh, I found that uh, the execution time of that script can could get quite long, like multiple seconds. And then as soon as the traffic went up, then it would spawn more and more threads to the point at which it basically, even at, a, I guess you, I'd call it a moderate scale, uh, a low-end VPS simply couldn't do it. Uh, and I guess, yeah, that, that, that's been my, my experience with dynamic sites is that they simply, they don't scale. Uh, right. I, I haven't had the privilege to have that much traffic on uh, my websites um, that, that I manage personally to, uh, for this to be a problem. But I, I, I do know that I host, you know, Radix.io and multiple other things on the chip, the cheapest possible um, hosting service that that I could find, <laughs> and and it works. Like e even when I, you know, had a pretty decent um, amount of traffic on one of the blog posts a um, couple of years ago, like it it would make make no difference because it's you know it's just serving static files, so you can have the cheapest possible. Uh, service and you can have you know even you know hundreds or maybe thousands of uh, requests per second and even on the cheapest thing it would just work because it's just serving plain um, plain files and it's really fast like you know I'm clicking between links and it's just there uh, which is not what I can say about most uh, dynamic websites yeah, exactly right. And this is kind of kind of where I'm going with this is that the question that I never asked myself or rather I didn't understand enough about um, the, the the difficulty with scaling and caching and um, was I mean did did I actually need to have a dynamic site? And and that was the that was the question that I should have asked 
back in the beginning. So what was what happened with me was that I was uh, talking to some friends that um, were building sites and, and the current trend, fashion, whatever you want to call it, the in thing uh, at that point was Statomic. And Statomic was and still remains to be pretty cool. But my problem was that it, I also took on a lot of extra burden when I started doing that. And I didn't realize it at the time. And um, it's been great as products go, but ultimately I've sort of hit the wall with it because when you're trying to squeeze every last bit of performance, it sort of it reaches a, a limit as to how far you can go. And when I say caching, I guess I'm talking about this. That's caching in, in, as it relates to Statomic. And I know that, that Statomic V1 had issues with caching. Uh, so does V2 to an extent, but it, it's a lot better. Um, it sort of reached that point where I'm like, well, caching is something that things like um, Apache, NG, Nginx, um, you know, and I guess we'll talk a little bit about Varnish. You know, it, it's a solved problem in many respects. And it's a sort of thing that if you've got a static site, uh, you, you sort of let uh, either a reverse proxy or you let your, um, uh, your web server actually deal with that for you. So you don't have to deal with it. And it's like in that respect, it's a solved problem. But if you've got a, a dynamic uh, site, that's another layer of caching on top of that. So with WordPress, for example, you can download a plugin called uh, Supercache, I think. And um, yeah, as I say, with Statomic, it has its own built into it. So the problem is that that's a layer of caching on top of a layer of caching, uh, which which is part of the reason why it becomes a problem, I think. Right. Uh, that th that's not something you want to rely uh, on too much. No, I mean you're asking you're asking for trouble the more layers of caching that you add because then it becomes oh I've made a change I hasn't shown up on the website so I've got to blow away which cache the the top level cache or the final cache or it just gets yeah gets gets complicated and gets frustrating so so I'm kind of done I I, I don't say done not done done but certainly mostly done with dynamic sites anyhow. And uh, I'm slowly migrating stuff away from Statomic. So you mentioned some of the statically generated sites that um, that you've played with. So I guess let's talk about statically generated sites now, because uh, I guess I kind of done with Dynamics and so moving on. And uh, I guess the great the great thing about a statically generated site is that you can create a template or multiple templates for different, like you said, different languages, for example. Uh, and you can feed that different source files and issue a com a command of, uh, through some mechanism, and it'll automatically regenerate the entire website of, of static files. And if you're using a cache on a server, you can tie that into the cache and have that trigger the cache busting command as well to trigger that and, you know, and you're good to go, basically. Not much else to do. Uh, advantages over a traditional site is you can safely edit that source data uh, and the source files uh, in something like Markdown. But there's not much risk uh, that you'll mess up any of the HTML on the page because that's already generated for you. You've already sorted your templates out beforehand. And just referring back to when I started back my first web page in 1997, uh, that was an issue because sometimes I'd do editing of my the raw HTML files and I'd mess up like a square bracket, not a square bracket, a corner bracket, sorry, and my tags wouldn't line up and then the HTML wouldn't render properly. Uh, and it, it sounds like a silly little thing, but it was actually, it was a thing. You know, you, you could you could actually mess up the HTML on your page if you weren't careful because you were editing uh, the mixture of the text as well as the tags. So by doing a by doing a statically generated site with all the templates and all that other stuff dealt with for you ahead of time, uh, all you got to do is worry about the source data going into it. So I think that that's a big plus as well. So examples of websites where I've used that are static generators. So uh, I also have have had a play uh, with Jekyll, uh, but to be honest, I only ever really trialed it. I never went live with it. It was just a little bit of play around and fun while I was doing some investigating. Um, the other thing that I've tried uh, that's a static site generator, I'll mention again, is Statomic. And that's one of the things that I sort of said before is a dynamic generator. Well, yes, it is. But as of version 1.10, 1 
um, they added a static site generator. So you could actually generate a static site from your Statomic um, site. So it's sort of like you can use it in that mode if you want to. And you simply you know, point it at the static uh, generated files when you serve it. And that's fine. But um, the problem with that was I ran, when I was running it on, a, on the, the VPS it was running on, I, um, it kept dying. So I'd run the static site generator. It'd get about a quarter of the way through and it would stop. And after a lot of digging, I, I've realized that if I turned off um, <laughs> Nginx uh, during that time and waited 10 minutes, then it would finish. Uh, at which point I realized, oh, that's really not very fast. So that was tech distortion. So tech distortion basically takes 10 minutes or thereabouts just under um, for Statomic to, to generate that as a static site, which is really quite horrific. Um, <laughs> and, your, and your website's down during that time. So really not that good. Um, so I suppose that if I paid a lot of extra money and had a higher spec VPS, it would be a lot faster, but that's really not ideal. So... Um, and the most recent one that I've, that I've played with and the one that I'm now slowly migrating my sites to is the one you mentioned before, which is uh, Hugo. Or sometimes people call it Go Hugo. And I'm pretty sure it is pronounced Hugo, but I actually haven't used it in a sentence with another developer before. So I'm going to assume it's Hugo. Um, but anyway, uh, and I'm now using that for two of my sites and I'm looking to move them all over um, gradually over the next uh, little while. And in in difference, and sorry, with respect to uh, Statomic and Comparatively, uh, if I'm running it on my Mac Mini, which is a 2012 Mac Mini, which is partic- not particularly fast uh, as machines go, it yeah, it's a little Mac Mini. Anyway, it takes uh, three and a half seconds to actually generate the whole tech distortion website from source files, and the same site, exact same everything um, generated on my the VPS that I use takes 1.125 seconds. So that's one and one eighth of a second, and um, that's what I'm talking about. Nice. Nice. Um, so there's some other ones out there that I just want to mention exist. And this is the thing is that there seems to be a lot of them. And uh, so the other ones, um, you got uh, one called Hexo. Uh, there's one called uh, Gatsby. And I found a website that listed, I guess you call them recognized multi multiple site static site generators. And this is obviously excluding ones like Watermelon. Um, I think that was yours. <laughs> Uh, and um, and camel and you know whatever Marco called his I mean the, all these ones that people have just rolled their own that's that's not including any of them because I think the number would be in the uh, tens of thousands otherwise but um, the in terms of um, multiple site recognized independent static site generators the list was over 450 and it's climbing every single week so there's definitely a lot of interest in this and and it is gathering momentum but the the two most popular uh, Jekyll and Go Hugo. So uh, it's a good thing you, 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 you've used Jekyll and I've used Hugo so we can cover off those top two. <laughs> um, so what makes a good static site generator, do you think? I think that's going to depend on who you're going to ask. Uh, I think static site generators, at least the way I understand them, are mostly appealing to uh, technical people to programmers and so for programmers what would make a good static website generator is for it not to get in the way because that's what's going to entice you to use something like that something uh, you know static and simple instead of something like WordPress that it doesn't get in the way that there's just not a lot of stuff uh, but on the other hand um, 
you don't want to like when you want to plug in things like you want a atom feed or you want um, I don't know whatever the the common things you might want want to uh, add that you don't have to you know do it from scratch but you just plug in a couple of components you don't write any of your own uh, Ruby or Go or JavaScript code you just write Markdown hit a bunch of sw- switches and that's it. I absolutely agree, and I think that uh, it's the sort of thing that uh, it's difficult to have a static site generator that is easy for the average person to use necessarily. But um, uh, I think different aspects of there are different things that make static site generators better or worse. I think than than others. So some some are better than others. And I guess the first and foremost reason I can think of, um, you know, from a development point of view, is the speed uh, the speed to generate uh, the entire site. That that's probably the biggest one. Because you know, the last thing you want to do is to make a change, hit generate, and then go and get a coffee and, and come back in five minutes. I mean, that that's not really that's not really what you want. You want something that's really really fast to do that. And particularly, I think also the other other sub requirement for that is it has to be very fast mm. at rendering a local copy for local development. So uh, if you run it up on your local machine, you you hit save. How long does it take for that change to ripple through to the final product, which you can then look at in a browser, let's say? Um, so I think that's key. And I also think that it's important uh, with these static site generators that they're actively maintained. And I know you could argue that for a lot of open source stuff. I mean, so Jekyll sure. is open source, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, Hugo is, yeah, Hugo is as well. And that community around actively maintaining them, that's really important because the problem with SSGs is that it's unlike something like WordPress where you can just like log in and, and if you want to go with the basic defaults, you can. Uh, or you can tweak it to a point. Um, there's a limit to how far you can go, but you know there's still a lot of people using it. And in the case of static site generators, you know obviously you need something that's actively maintained because if you have got something that's actively maintained, then it's going to get um, a lot of support because there's a community behind it, and and that's and that's important. Uh, I guess the other thing I think is really important as well is that there has to be good documentation. One of my only, oh, I say only, one of my frustrations with uh, GoHugo is that the documentation is not necessarily always uh, up to date as you would like. And it's just because as a product goes, it's it, as a, as a uh, it's very, it's still relatively early on. I think it's up to 0.46 or 48, something like that. So it's, it hasn't even hit technically 1.0 for whatever 1.0 is worth, but still it's, um, it's still very early in its in its lifespan, I guess you, you could say. It's only been around for a few years. So uh, the interesting thing is that um, I, I rely more on on forums and uh, looking at other people's examples than I actually get from the documentation. The documentation looks good, but sometimes it's so far out of date. Um, it's getting better, but in any case. So, okay. So specifically with Hugo... Um, the thing that I found amazing when I first tried it uh, was that you can actually generate uh, static files in only a few seconds, even on a crummy Mac Mini like mine. And that's in local memory. So you can actually run up a web server in local memory without any other uh, tools. And because so, normally I was used to running MAMP and uh, MAMP, you know, so I can run up an Nginx or PHP environment that matches my server configuration. But I don't need that with um, with Hugo. I could just load it up into memory. And uh, if you then go to um, localhost port 1313, it'll just load uh, directly from the memory on your local machine. And 
it basically uh, waits and monitors for any file changes on the hard drive. Sorry, solid state drive, whatever we're using these days. I think everyone's on SSDs by now, aren't they? So yes, spinning spinning rust can go and and, and rust, please. Uh, anyhow, and um, it'll it'll actually look for file changes on the directory that you're executing it from, and if it detects any, it'll automatically regenerate the site, and then that will boot the browser, and the page will reload all pretty much automatically. It doesn't work every single time. Like sometimes I still have to manually refresh the web page, but generally speaking, it works probably 95% of the time and it is ridiculously fast. I mean, I can make a change um, if I'm editing in Sublime Text, which is kind of my, my desktop editor of choice, and I make a change to the source file, I hit save within a second, maybe two at the absolute outside, um, it'll regenerate uh, all of those pages and uh, it'll boot the browser and I'll see the result, yeah, which I is just, fantastic. Uh... I just checked with the uh, all of the Nosby Hugo websites because you're right. I I didn't mention speed because I was thinking of uh, people making personal blogs or something like that. But when you have something big and complex, I remember one of the uh, perhaps the biggest reason why we chose uh, Hugo was exactly that that everything else was too slow. And I'm looking at the I I, I just I just hit the. Uh, server was really easy to install. I, I, I did it just as we were uh, explaining this, and there's thousands of pages generated in 6.9 seconds. Nice. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think is is also very good with static site generators, and I guess you could argue that Statomic is similar because it's uh, because it is flat file, and this is more of an advantage of flat file. But you know, I think all static site generators are flat file by by nature, um, but when you're in control of the site, you're able to use, uh, if you like Git, for example, you can use a Git workflow um, for publishing. And uh, and that's also, you know, quite good. Uh, if you've got a lot of, uh, I suppose, call them non, not tech savvy people or users for the for the website, then you're probably going to end up needing some kind of a CMS, I guess. That's, that's the only downside. Uh, there are sort of ways and means you can sort of get around that if you can. So there are some, you, you can actually create a... Um, yeah, and it, there are editing solutions for editing like a file directory. You could potentially say, hey, here's how you create a new web page and just show them how to use a, uh, a basic um, tool for, for going to an FTP to a website. And you sort of like the way I've done it with bubble sort, for example, is that I've, um, I've loaded in a, um, it's a, uh, it's a hidden URL specifically with um, PHP in there and you log in with um, um, credentials and such to allow you to directly edit files in the actual um, uh, content directory. So it's possible for other people um, to modify those. But generally speaking, even that requires some level of knowledge. It's not as pretty as a CMS. It does work, but, you know, it's sort of like, hmm. So in any case, um, the I guess the final advantage I just want to mention quickly uh, about uh, flat files, not flat files, sorry, static sites, whether they're statically generated or just static, uh, static-y static, which is not an expression, but still, uh, is security. And uh, because there's no active scripts executing, there's no exploits really, well, technically there's hardly any exploits, uh, certainly none from the website generation itself. So it's about as safe as you can pretty much get from those sorts of vulnerabilities. And um, there's no PHP or patching needed for anything like that, which is uh, yeah, something you always got to stay on top of if you've got a dynamic site. Uh, I I was uh, looking up st- uh, Statomic uh, earlier because I I know you that's what you were using, and on their website they're quoting someone saying that you know like a third or 
something like that of uh, like website hacks or something like that it happens on WordPress sites. And that's not surprising because when you have like WordPress is, is a pretty good piece of software, but it's a really big piece of software and there's always bugs and stuff like that. And there's bugs in PHP uh, that are found too. And when you have something like that running publicly, then it's different when you, you know, when you have someone whose job it is to, to keep updating it and just maintain it. But most of the time, you just want a website. Like you, you don't want a programmer or technical person to keep overseeing that you, you have absolutely everything most up to date. And whenever there's like a serious vulnerability discovered that you patch it like, you know, as fast as, as, uh, as possible. Um, with static websites, you don't have to worry about something like that. Um, and I wanted to add one more uh, just piece of data about the speed of Hugo. Uh, I checked and the the less than seven seconds measured on the, the, the nosby.com websites, that's for 23,000 files. Uh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Most of it is like static files that, that are duplicated for multiple languages, but still that's 23,000 files, uh, thousands of which are actual pages in multiple languages. And that happens in seven seconds, which is yeah, not a lot. That's pretty, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and comparatives with, you know, like Jekyll, for example, is that, you know, that could be anywhere from a quarter to a 10th of the amount of time to render the same thing in with Jekyll. Uh, but then the thing that, that, I guess when I was reading up on Hugo and uh, it's, it's funny actually that I was trying to figure out who it was or which tweet that I saw that mentioned Hugo. It was actually one of yours you'd mentioned that um, um, that you guys were playing with it and uh, I sort of started digging into it and uh, a few other people on Twitter had mentioned this as recently as like uh, like two years ago and it took me a while to give it a, give it a shot but when I did, I was actually stunned at how much faster it was. And um, it's, I think it is the fastest currently, the fastest uh, static site generator that there is. Uh, you know, it's, it is pretty amazing actually how fast it is. But anyhow, um, so one of the other things that I just want to, I guess, mention regarding static site generators is that, and static sites in general, is that you can't just say um, across the board, like I am going to go completely static because sometimes that's not always the best answer. There are always going to be, well, not always, but I think that there are. There's definitely scope for a hybrid solution where you don't, where you do rely on. It's a static site, yes, but you either have client side execution or you can leverage existing uh, third party stuff if you want to. So, for example, um, when I moved um, Bubblesort to Go Hugo, I didn't want the uh, the show email account uh, exposed to you know bots that are going to crawl around and. Yeah, then start spamming the 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 crap out of your poor email accounts. That's that's not what you want, um, which is a mistake I made early on. But never mind that. Uh, so anyway, this is um, there's a web service uh, that I use called Ninety Nine Inbound um, for the form posting, and it works fine. Uh, so other than that, technically it's one hundred percent static, but there is that one element. So if you need to have some kind of dynamic elements, you can look at doing something in the client in in the browser, or you can do something with a third party services. I guess the other thing is you could also potentially, if you want to, um, there's no reason why you couldn't enable PHP uh, for a set of files or a series of files rather than just making index PHP the file that everything hits every single time. And um, and that could be still useful to have some kind of a, a hybrid solution depending upon what you're trying to achieve. But um, I don't pretend that static side generators are the answer to absolutely every problem. But if you're trying to 
reach a point where you've got a high-performing site that can work on a low-end uh, server, so uh, be economical and uh, basically uh, can be your development can be extremely fast, then I think that static site generators are definitely worth serious consideration. Yeah, I agree. If you have um, some technical skills to be able to deal with a tool like Jekyll or Hugo, then for a vast majority of use cases for a website, uh, it's enough. Like you probably won't need um, dynamic stuff that you can't solve with JavaScript, um, and it will save you a lot of pain. But I, I do think in the future, um, the approach of something like Statomic or like like some sort of hybrid approach. Uh, might be really interesting. Uh, like you said yourself that, that you hit the, uh, the limits of, of Statomic, the, the product as it is today. But, but an approach like this might be enticing in, in the future where it's mostly statically uh, generated and in something like fast, like uh, Hugo's written in Go. So that's quite fast. But then you do have a CMS-like interface to be able to edit those things so that it's more accessible to... Uh, people who are not as technically inclined, uh, and also so that you can plug in bits of uh, dynamic behavior that's, that's difficult to achieve otherwise, but still mostly rely on static generation so that you get something that's really fast and uh, doesn't get in the way. Yeah, I think I think you got a point there, and, and also com compute power and um, especially, well, parallel compute power anyhow, uh, it's it is it's not going up as fast and as it used to, but it is still accelerating year over year. And for five dollars a month now at Linode, for example, you can get uh, five dollars US a month. You can get a reasonable um, entry level VPS that is that is quite capable and um, can handle running Statomic, um, you know, at a at a moderate sort of scale. Uh, and in another two or three years' time, that same five dollars is going to get you something that's more powerful again. So. Perhaps the whole uh, execution problem and uh, and issues with with caching get resolved to a point that maybe it's because currently uh, it's built on um, PHP. So Statomic's built on PHP, and it's uh, Lar Laravel is the um, uh, is what they're using as the basis for it. Essentially, a um, whole bunch of other uh, plugins. The point is that it's quite possible that if that's rewritten and done on a higher performing you know, language like Go, then yes, it's quite possible that that is the right answer in the end. But um, uh, for the moment, at least, uh, I'm, I'm, I guess uh, you could say I'm in the honeymoon period with Hugo, and <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I, I'm, it's, I, I'm sure there's going to have issues with her further along. Uh, but for the moment, at least, it's, uh, it's doing what I need. And um, the only other thing that I wanted to mention as well about just about caching is that uh, a few years ago I came across something called Varnish and. Uh, have you ever used Varnish at all? No, I did not. Okay. So Varnish is um, an open source, uh, essentially it's a reverse proxy um, that handles caching between your um, your web server. Let's say it's uh, Nginx or Apache, for example. And uh, it was actually released in 2006. And a lot of people swore by it. They, they'd use that as their caching, um, essentially, like I say, it's acting as a reverse proxy. And it's sort of... Uh, it's a one-size-fits-all kind of a solution and it can be tailored quite specifically to different um, parts of a site. And I, I actually get, had a play with that and I also had a... because I, I prefer Nginx over Apache, I have done for years. And uh, so I was using Nginx and uh, the fast CGI cache actually performs very similarly these days to Varnish. So 
when it came to the caching on because I still do you still use the um the nginx caching for um for the static sites uh and it's just uh, it was a bit of a wash really so I kind of gave up on varnish because varnish was an unnecessary uh complexity at that point it wasn't giving me any additional performance so I just wanted to throw that in there because a lot of people sort of swore by varnish and said oh yeah you know you got to use varnish and so on it's 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 the best and everything but I think that uh, the other other options that are out there that are built in because nginx you know obviously it's just if if I added varnish on top of nginx then I've got to maintain both nginx as well as varnish it takes memory blah 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 so you're just better off I think anyway just sticking with the nginx caching so that's been my experience anyhow and that that applies to static or dynamic sites but I also had issues with caching as it related to like I said two levels of caching so with uh, with static so you had the, the caching in Statomic, then you had the caching in Nginx. And then when I was using Varnish, you only had caching in Varnish. So you had three levels of caching. And it was, yeah, it would have some bizarre behavior where sometimes you had to seriously bust every single one of them in order for it to actually show, push a change out, which was very frustrating. Whereas with Hugo, uh, you just statically generate it and um, the Nginx cache is the only cache and, uh, and that's it. And I, and I haven't had any issues with it at all. And um, what I do with, with Hugo is that uh, I have a, a, a cron job that executes every five minutes and uh, it just regenerates the site. So if I make changes to the source files, every five minutes it just recrunches those and it automatically syncs up and publishes that and uh, it goes live. So I can actually schedule uh, a file to go live at a certain time and date. You can also do like conditional stuff like uh, like most of these, you know, uh, static site generators you can actually specify a, a time to publish and a time to unpublish if you want to so if you want something on the site that's time limited you can do that as well and as as time moves forward it just automatically uh, generates the site and it displays what you would expect it to display which is really great so it kind of looks like a bit of a dynamic site but in truth it's not um, so I think that's fantastic right, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at all to hear your caching problems uh, that there's a um saying or a joke, I guess, among programmers that the three most difficult uh, problems in computing are off by one errors, naming things and cache invalidation. And, uh, yeah. you know, when you have to use a cache, that's that often indicates a, a bigger problem that that uh, some piece of computation that should be fast is is not. And if you if you can, if it's practical to to, to just avoid the problem altogether by skipping the computation or changing it to something that's just really fast and doesn't need a cache, you're going to save yourself a ton of headache over the long term. And that's like what we're talking about, uh, you know, static site generators or any other thing in, in computing. Uh, you just time and time and again, you, you get <laughs> really bitten by uh, caches all the time. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, um, if you want to talk more about this, uh, you can reach me on uh, our Mastodon at chigi at engineered.space or you can follow at engineered underscore net on Twitter to see uh, show-related announcements. Uh, if you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can, like some of our backers, Carsten Hansen and John Whitlow. They and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon and you can find it at patreon.com slash johnchigi or one word. Uh, patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to pages of raw show notes, as well as ad-free, high-quality releases of every episode. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all very much appreciated. If you're not in a position to support the show via Patreon, that's fine. Uh, you can still help by leaving a rating in iTunes, favoriting the episode or the show in your podcast player app of choice where it's supported, or by sharing the episode or show on social media. 
it helps other people find out about the show and that's all very much appreciated as well. Uh, Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network and you can find it at engineered.network along with other great shows like Causality, which is a solo podcast I do that looks at cause and effect of major events and disasters in history, including Three Mile Island, the Challenger Space Shuttle and recently Chernobyl and lots more. Uh, Causality is on track to overtake uh, Pragmatic as it grows in popularity. So if you haven't tried it out yet, uh, be sure you do. Um, now, if you'd like to get in touch with uh, Radek, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, mate? So you can find me on Twitter at RadekP, R-A-D-E-X-P. You can uh, listen to me and my friend Michael every week on the podcast, the podcast.fm, and I blog about programming at radex.io. Fantastic. All right, cool. Well, a special thank you uh, again to our patrons and a big thank you to everyone for listening and uh, thank you for coming back on the show, Radek. It's been, uh, it's been great. Thank you so much for in- inviting me again. And I wanted to also really recommend uh, Causality. I really dig that show. Oh, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you.